Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin. Welcome to the podcast, conscience that made us, interviews and stories, tales from the bus, we love taking you back to when it all went down, the greatest live shows and that cheering crowd sound, it's concerts, concerts that made us, concerts that made us.com. Uh, this is uh, Dean from Philistine, I play the guitar. Make sure you turn it up loud. This is Mark Vass, and you're listening to Concerts That Made Us. And remember, long live the loud. And there's a Philistine at the door.
Dean and Mark, you're very welcome to Concerts That Made Us. Great. Thank Thank you. you very much for inviting us. I'm delighted to have you guys. I'm really looking forward to diving into your music for over the next bit. So you recently released your debut album, Serenum. What can you tell us about it? What can we tell you about it? Um, it's it's it was a project that came together um, after Dean and I we we had our first jam together when we were in high school, so probably 50, 14, 15, somewhere, or should I say around about sixteen? And we always said that one day we would put a project together. And uh, as the years progressed, we played in different bands, uh, sharing often the same bill. And uh, Dean and I became best mates and uh, had lots of wild parties after the gigs, as one does. And uh, we always said we would put something together, and and uh, eventually it came to fruition, um, thanks to Dean. Uh, Dean, you can, I uh, guess, uh, fill in how uh, the first track came around and then how the Philistine, Philistine thing actually uh, sort of was born. Um, I guess we should say thanks to COVID as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, as Mark says, you know, it was a lifelong thing, us being in different bands all through the years and that kind of thing, um, also in different countries at, at certain points. And we managed to get a few jams together in Canada when I was living with my brother and Mark was living on, on the east side of Canada and we were in the west. We did a few demos and so a couple of jams over there and then again ended up living in different countries. And then COVID blessed the planet and... Um, Obviously, I had a lot of time to sit and twiddle my thumbs and do whatever you do during COVID. And uh, I started writing some riffs. And um, I thought, well, what a great opportunity, you know, to send. Uh, I sent the first one that I came up with, which was the song Blue Train. It's the second track on the album. I sent it to Mark and I said to him, like, how would you feel about doing some vocals on it? And um, he uh, popped some lyrics back to me um, on WhatsApp and we shot it back and forward like that. And uh, started writing the tracks like that. And uh, before we knew it, we had half an album on the go. And um, we decided to actually start getting together to to, to do the vocals. And I, I used to travel up to um, Mark's place. Um, I don't know if I can say the area where you live, Mark, if you, you know, if you don't mind me saying that. I mean, I don't have to say it. Oh, fuck it. Who cares? No, no one knows me here anyway. <laughs> yeah, but I'd, I'd travel from London to, to Northampton, and then we started doing vocals. And uh, we just took it from there. And within a short, I mean, if you want to look at it as in in real time, I mean, the album was done very quickly. When I say we did it through COVID, that's like was a couple of years. But if you add up the real time that I actually spent writing the music and going up to Mark's place, I'd say we we cut the whole album in, in less than a month. Yeah, but there's a caveat to this is that Dean's missing an important piece is that when he sent me an idea for a song, I hadn't been in the business fucking since Jesus was a baby. I, I quit it actually singing or grunting, call it what you like, many, many moons ago. And Dean carried on and he has a fantastic solo project called Danger Smith. And um, he sent me a track saying, hey, I've got this idea. I want you to do the vocals on my album. I took a listen to it and I thought, fuck, there's no way I'm going to do this thing any justice. These pipes are well-worn, well-rusty. It ain't going to come together. Anyway, I listened to it for a while. Then I shot some ideas in terms of lyrics and a vocal melody back and forth on WhatsApp. And then he said, all right, let's give it a go. And I thought, you know, what's the worst that can do? I can totally fuck the thing up. Then he'll do a better job anyway for his album. And that's it. So he pulled a move on me. He did right. He got you. We, we, we did the track. It actually went really, really well. And then that night, I think, after probably a good few Jack Daniels, to be fair, and a few other aperitifs mixed into that that evening sitting on the couch, we said, fuck it, let's do a project. And we dabbled with the name and came up with Philistine, and that's pretty much how it was born. So Dean sugarcoated it slightly there, but it pulled a move on me, that he did. <laughs> yeah, I knew he could do it, though, because I, um, when I mentioned Canada earlier, we, we did a, a project song there. Um, not for Philistine, obviously. We didn't, Philistine wasn't even thought of yet then, but we did a song there, which was pretty cool. And um, Mark wasn't really happy with, uh, 100% happy with his vocals. And I always said to him, this was in 2013, I said to him, yeah, one day I'll get you to sing and we'll make it sound good. And then this is what happened. So very happy with it. 
Right, right. <laughs> and, you know, when it actually came to writing the music then, where did you guys look for inspiration? Oh, I mean, uh, we've, I've been listening to heavy music since I was in, in primary school, man, in uh, as far as back as I can remember, actually being able to comprehend what music was. My mother used to play... You know all the all this old stuff from those days: Black Sabbath, Deep Purple, Jimi Hendrix. You know all the usual stuff, and and Judas Priest, and you know Kiss. So I mean, as far back as I can remember, it's heavy music has always been my first love when it comes to music. And I guess you know when we wrote these songs, it wasn't a a thing of sitting down to look for inspiration. It was just taking inspiration from. I'd say from the 80s and 90s of heavy metal and heavy rock music, which to me is still the best ever um, that that's ever been written. And I guess it just comes from listening to all those bands and that kind of music, you know. It was um, yeah, no, not really. And I think Dean hit the nail on the head. You know, when we started to put it together, we 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 made a conscious decision that we weren't going to try and pigeonhole it and try and sound like the metal that's happening today or whatever the case may be. We just said we're just gonna go with it. We'll just write each track. You write the riffs. I'll come up with some vocal melodies. We will ping them back and forth, and it will just evolve like it's going to evolve and and we just termed it old school heavy metal that's it it's not trying to pigeonhole ourselves and you can hear there's a variations in the songs but the bottom line it's 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 just heavy no frills no fuck around it's just heavy metal 101 and and that's what we grew up on and that's what we play yeah i mean it's, st- it's stuff that we um we actually would like to listen to which um you know i, I guess it's like that for a lot of musicians but um I like playing riffs that that I think I like uh, that I would love listening to. Not sit there and try and write something, thinking, "Oh, I wonder what the public or I wonder what guys who are into thrash metal are going to think of this, or guys who are into doom metal or or or, or whatever." You know, it's, there was none of that involved. It was just, as Mark said, we'd write something, and if we liked it, we ran with it. If we didn't, we'd kick it out the door and not, never think about it again. You know, so the album is quite diverse. When it comes to heavy music, I think there's a good few. Um, there's a good few fast songs on there. There's some real slow ones, and uh, I've, I've, uh, I'm surprised to see that in the in the recent um, article on what was it, Terra, Terra something online, somebody uh, classed us as doom metal, right. heavy metal, heavy metal slash doom metal, which is uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, so many. And another podcast said we play atmospheric music. Fuck me, what's atmospheric? Atmospheric <laughs> is where I've been tripping off my face on bad LSD. That may be. That was many years ago, by the way. So I'm not sure what atmospheric means. But anyway, if that's what they hear, that's what they hear. The main thing is the feedback's been absolutely fantastic. And I just want to add a final point, and I guess we can move on. Is is that when we wrote this, the outcome we wanted is we wanted to make as a dream that we had as kids is we wanted to record an album for ourselves, that one day we could show our grandkids, Christ, that's if I live that long, show our kids <laughs> and grandkids that we actually did something together and we followed through on a dream. I know it sounds a bit cheesy, but Dean and I have been best mates, Jesus, forever. And when, when, when we can make that commitment in his mother's uh, lounge playing music, we promised we would do something one day and, and we followed through on it. And I'm really, really pleased we have. And it was never t- about, well, we, it's, of course, it's important what people think. But what's more important was we wanted to make sure we actually delivered something for ourselves to leave a legacy for ourselves, I guess, that we could show our kids, you, you know, you can be the age we act and still deliver something. Yeah. And, you know, now that it's out, are you guys kind of happy to sit back and let it simmer or are the cogs already turning in your heads and you're thinking of the next the next thing? It's funny you ask that because just today I sent Mark <laughs> a, a new song. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I wouldn't say a whole song. I sent him a couple of riffs and I said, you know, I'll tell you what happened is, is we are letting it simmer. We're doing a lot of promo and um, we are taking a bit of a break from, actually, I will put it this way, I've... With doing all the promo and everything, I haven't really had time to sit and write anything. And I did come up with maybe five or six ideas for new songs maybe a couple of months ago. And I, I actually messaged Mark last week and I said to him, I'm not really happy with them. They were just quick ideas, spur of the moment, sitting there 
playing the guitar, so I recorded whatever came out. There's there's some good stuff there, but I I don't think it's a quality. It's the right quality for a second Philistine album. But the riffs that I sent him today, definitely on the way there, man. Hundred percent, and definitely there will be a second album. We've already got a, a, a working title for it, which we'll keep between ourselves for now. Uh, but certainly, just because it gelled so well and so quickly, we thought, "Fuck it, let's do another one." What the hell? I mean, let's do another one, and if that works well, we'll do another one until we can't do them anymore. We're on a roll now, and let's just keep on going. So that's pretty much where we're at. Nice, nice. Doesn't sound too bad at all. And, you know, as you mentioned, you guys have a rich history in the metal scene, not to make you feel old now, but dating back to the mid to late 80s, having having both played in some prolific bands. What are your thoughts on the industry today compared to when you guys were starting out? Um, You you know, I still listen to a lot of stuff all the time, new stuff, old stuff. And I just think the scene has changed so much. Uh, It's... It's it's there is so much to listen to that it all becomes very blurry and messy and and it's hard to really dig through the masses of stuff to find something that's really um, uh, really stands out and it doesn't necessarily need to be a new, new a new sound but just something that stands out and I guess because technology's made it so easy for everybody so one technology's been a game changer a positive in one aspect but also negative because it's almost too much out there in a way um and yeah and then the, the third point is coming back to my point about atmospheric and I mean now we've got a category for everything fucking folk metal underwater pop-up toaster technology metal <laughs> I don't know, death metal I'm alive metal I mean tech when tech I mean we just play heavy metal and maybe it's because we're just older than most folk who still playing I don't know but it that's the, the things that have changed for me just there's too much out there. Um, hard to, to work through everything and find something that really stands out in this day and age, I guess. And also all these weird, wonderful categories. I don't get it, don't understand it. And maybe it's just because I'm just not with it to the kids. I don't know. That's my view. Yeah, I totally agree. I think technology has had a lot to do with it. But going back to what I said earlier, growing up in, in uh, on the 80s and well, really the 70s, 80s and, and halfway through the 90s, growing up and those bands, all the bands that we grew up on were unique. I mean, you could put, you could hear three seconds of class minor from the Scorpions start singing yeah. and you'd know it Amen, was them. Yeah. Three seconds of um, Brian Johnson and you'd, or Bon Scott and you'd know it was them. Mm-hmm. Sometimes even just a guitar if you'd know it was Angus, you know, like um, Pio, all those singers from those days. So they, they all had their own unique sound. I mean, Aussie, no one sounds like Aussie, man. And the problem for me is, and this was already... I'd say 10 years ago, I used to DJ on a, a show for um, a radio station, an internet radio station that streamed out of Darwin, Australia. And the one evening I was, thought I'd have some fun and I took, um, I think it was like 10 or 12 different songs from all the latest bands for that year. And they were all obviously, some of them were metalcore, but I, I played, I said to the, the listeners, I said, I'm going to play this new album that I've heard. And oh, you can tell me, oh, you can come in the chat room and we can discuss it after. And, and everyone came on and were like, whoa, what a killer album. It was fantastic. What a go. Who's the band? And I said, it was 12 different bands. And <laughs> honestly, they couldn't tell the difference between the singers and even the style of music. They all thought it was the same band. And that was, I did that to prove a point, you know, um, of where I think heavy metal has come compared to where it used to be. I'm not saying it's shit or anything. I mean, like Mark, I do listen to a lot of new stuff. I mean, I subscribe to YouTube music. I'm always listening to new stuff. But it's far and few. There's few and far between where you actually find a band that sounds really unique. So I think um, that's where the state of heavy metal is at the moment. For me, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one, though, actually. If that's the case, as a new band putting out a new record, how do you make sure that you stand out from the noise and make it unique? Well, you know, I think you don't sit and purposely try and be the fastest fucking band since um, Slayer came out. Or, I know there's way faster bands than that now, but that's not what we try and do. So, and this is, I'd give advice to anybody. Who cares about how fast you can play? And it's been done... A thousand times. When Chemical Warfare came out from Slayer, it was the fastest song in the world. 
after that, everybody just had to try and prove that they could be faster. And obviously, some were faster. Some just made a fucking mess of it. Um, don't try and be the biggest grunty vocalist that you can find that sounds like a fucking ogre because there's five million other bands that sound exa exactly like that. And you can't tell the difference between the singers. And to me, you know what? I'd rather not listen to that. There's a few bands that do grunt and did sound like ogres, but they sound really cool. But how many are there now? I mean, there's like millions. And hey, the same he, as... Yeah, carry on, Mark. No, no, go on. Go on, Dean. That's all right. I, I think I was going to run out of words there. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, just to tag on to that, to me, what advice would I give any band starting out? Just play what feels right for you. Don't, I mean, everybody's obviously copying something because we've all learned something and inhaled it by osmosis, listening to music. So there's things going around in your head and, you know, going to come through in your fingers or come through in the voice. There are going to be similarities, but just, just play what works. And, um, and it's not trying to, well, you know, we've got to try and sound like them and sound like them. If you that purposely want to sound like that, then go and join a cover band. You know, use Rival Sons, for example. I mean, that's like really heavy rock. I mean, when they came out, they just, you know, they were throwback to the 70s, but they weren't trying to sound exactly like a 70s band. I went, wow, that is so cool. They're just playing what they feel, and it's that whole 70s dirty rock sound, but it works. Uh, and uh, yeah, and uh, that's an example. Just play what what feels right. I think it's, it's, it's virtually impossible now because of the music market is so saturated because of the internet. Anybody and everyone can put out music now. Uh, um, it's virtually impossible to sound original now. I mean, back in the days when we heard those bands, the ones that I mentioned that all have such a unique sound, there was, there was a lot of bands, but there was, wasn't as many as there is now. And also then it was a different process, you know, you, and so I think, it, I don't know, it's really difficult to be original. I'm not saying our, our record sounds completely original, but it does have its own sound. People might go, yeah, well, I can hear a bit of an influence of this and that. And that's that's going to happen with anybody. Everyone has their influences. But um, I think we have something quite unique sounding for 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 uh, compared to what um, is all coming out these days with all this speed and trying to be the heaviest singer and whatever, you know, and trying to be the most technical. I mean, we just do what do what feels right to you. If something sounds good to you, then then play it and release it. Don't worry about what anyone else thinks. Even if it sounds like Pantera or Metallica or fucking In Flames or whatever, you, your, whatever takes you, whatever's influence you. If it sounds like that, then then use it. But if it's if you, if you don't, if you think it sounds too much like one of your influences and you and and you might get called up on it, then then throw it away, man. Very good advice. And you know, I suppose at this stage we'll uh, we'll dive into your history when it comes to music to give the listeners a sense of where you guys come from. So it's a bit tricky now, but if you can, can you remember your earliest musical memory? You know, the first time you really took notice of music. I think for myself, it would probably be around about five or six years old, and it was um, a Kiss Kiss record. I mean, just the look of it, first of all, was I found this record with these guys with this makeup. It was my mom's. And um, I think it's something like that, Kiss or Hendrix or something. But that it was definitely rock and roll. And it just bit me, man. I was, it was, I knew it was the style of music. I mean, after that, I started collecting records when I was still in primary school. I think for me, um, my grandmother, uh, Grandmother Mercia, um, I would say gave me the gift of music because I, as far back as I can remember, I think before I, when I was still walking on my knees, so to speak, and shitting in a nappy, there was an Elvis record playing. I mean, all the time. So the first music I ever heard in my mind, and then I'm talking right as a, as, as a baby, was Elvis. And then she was into full-on rock and roll. Anything was rock and roll, she would play. She had rock and roll records. And so I got into that. And then from that, 
you know, it sort of grew into to listening into the heavy stuff. But I, I come from Afrikaans family, so it's a bit of a, a dichotomy here because my one grand was into to, to full-on Elvis Presley, where my other side of the family are Afrikaans, and they played Burumasik or Afrikaans folk music, which I grew up on, which to this day I still collect and listen to, which people think I'm absolutely mad. So I've listened to loads of stuff, but certainly my first memory was Elvis Presley, for sure. J. Louse Rock. I can remember it like it was yesterday. Yeah, I also remember my mom playing some um, African music, some Zulu music. I like it. I like it. And, you know, if you had to pinpoint a moment then that sparked the desire to become a musician, what would you say it was? Uh, for me, it was Angus Young, man. Like I remember I remember my mom took me to the shops one day um, to CNA, which was a shop in South Africa that sold stationery and all sorts of shit. And they also had a record section. And she said to me, go and choose your first record. I think I was maybe eight or nine. And I went in there, I started scrolling through the records and I saw a Rolling Stones one with the, the lips and the tongue and all that and saw some South African stuff. And then I saw the cannon. And it was like, what the fuck is this? Cannon <laughs> for those about to rock. And it was like, God damn it. And then I was in boarding school and then... um one of the guys in boarding school gave me a video to the VHS videotape to take home for the weekend. And I put it on and it was an ACDC concert. And then I, that was it, man. You were so just, Oh, Angus, man. I wanted to be Angus right up until I was in my thirties. <laughs> <laughs> you still want to be Angus. The problem is your school blazer doesn't fit anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's it, man. <laughs> so, if I think back now, similar to Dean, I had a good mate of mine and uh, his sister was somewhat older and her boyfriend was somewhat older and, and uh, we were hanging out at, I was hanging out at, at his house and he brought a bunch of vinyls around and I'll never forget, it was Led Zeppelin 4, the first Boston album and the first Van Halen album. When oh I saw God. the picture of David Lee Roth on there, I said, I want to be David Lee Roth. And that was it. It was the, I didn't even listen to the record. But just looking at the picture of David Lee Roth, I said, that's who I want to be. And that was that was it. It, it was like the, the switch had gone off. I want to be it's, David. And it's that was funny the- that you say that, Mark, because it's, um, it's only the other day that I just tell Mark that when he was in Metamorphosis and I was in um, in Odyssey and Two Dogs Funking and in South Africa and I used to watch Metamorphosis play, I've never told anyone this, but I always used to – in my mind, I used to say that Mark was was the David Lee Roth of death metal. <laughs> because you, you, honestly, you had to be there to see this guy on stage, man. It was like full-on metamorphosis. was like a really heavy death metal band. But Mark was like David Lee Roth fronting them. Couldn't stand, couldn't stand still. Fucking somersaults, cartwheels, swinging from the lights, all that shit. So I, I used to just, in my mind, always used to think he was the David Lee Ross of Death Metal. <laughs> I couldn't do that today, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> you sure you won't give it a try, you know? Well, you never know if someone brings out a big checkbook there with some big numbers. Nothing's a no, huh? <laughs> bit, of Jack and some, bit of Jack and some Guinness mixed into one, you know? It's, yeah. yeah, that's true. <laughs> That'll get you going, all right. <laughs> And, you know, it's called Concerts That Made Us, so we have to talk about concerts. Now, as a concert goer, what concerts would you say have made you? Um, there's been, I think, the best one I ever saw. I, I saw Black Sabbath in at Sun City in uh, 1987, but it wasn't the original lineup. It was with Tony Martin on vocals. It was really cool. It was flipping excellent. And because I'd never been to a proper metal concert, I mean, or not, a, I'm not saying a proper one, I mean, international one ever in my life, that was like blew me away. And it was, I thought it was the best thing I'd ever seen. But in 1988, I went over to Belgium and I saw the Metallica and Justice for All Tour and Queensreich were, um, it was a double headliner because they were both on the same label at that stage. And it was the Operation Mindcrime Tour. But that, and Justice for All Tour changed my life, man. I've never seen anything that heavy and that well rehearsed and just so over the top metal ever in my life. It was fucking excellent. Yeah. And, and you know, Dean, you make a point is that what the listeners may not know is that, you know, coming from South Africa, the, through that whole apartheid 
era, bands were, were not well, well, bands boycotted coming to South Africa. So we were starved for seeing anybody live. It was just the odd band here and there. I mean, I was at that Sabbath gig and it was fantastic. But I remember going to LA would have been early 90s and I saw Helmet, Sepultura and Ministry on the same gig. And when I said absolutely blew my mind, uh, I mean, it was unbelievable. And in the same week I saw Pantera and I always wanted to play more of the heavier rock stuff. And Dean will remember, I, I basically, when I got back from L.A. that year, I went and handpicked people. I said, right, we're going to start something that this country's never seen in South Africa, and we're going to rip it a new arsehole. We're not for metamorphosis, and um, we just just let rip. We blended all of those styles of music into what metamorphosis became. But that helmet, sepultura, and uh, ministry on the same bill was just, it was, I've never seen those live. I've never even seen videos of the bands. It just absolutely blew my mind. And of course, seeing Pantera was, wow. Oh, was my like, God. Yeah, it was like, okay. I'm, I mean, there aren't words to explain it. Pantera is Pantera. I mean, it was, it was just unbelievable. Yeah, I'd say it was definitely the Injustice one for me. And then I also saw in 99, I saw the Black Sabbath reunion tour in Birmingham in their home city. And that was another one that uh, I think it was System of a Down that opened up for them. They had their, they were only had their first record out um, at that point. And, but the Sabbath was just incredible as well. Seeing Tony Iommi and Ozzy and Giza and, and Bill Ward. It was amazing. Man. Holy crap. You're making me yeah. seriously jealous. You made me think of something there actually when you were chatting about your own bands, how were you guys received back in those days in South Africa? I'd imagine metal wasn't kind of very welcomed. It wasn't in the mainstream, like on, on commercial radio and TV and stuff like that. It wasn't. Uh, we It was just such a struggle to get airplay. Um, there were the odd gigs. There was people who had little clubs here and there. We obviously formed like our own underground following and we and we got some something going like that but for anything commercial on tv and radio it was virtually impossible i mean i don't know if you remember mark there we had this show called pop shop and they used to yeah. play music videos and if there ever was anything metal i remember seeing kiss i love it loud on there but they would always put the metal song yeah. yeah they would they would always put the metal song right at the end and while the credits were coming up over the song yeah, you should piss me off. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, metal was seen as, as massively controversial in South Africa. And, um, and and Dean may recall, during the metal morphosis days, we uh, did cause a bit of controversy where I threw a goat's carcass off the stage onto the people. That didn't go down well. <laughs> animal, protect, so. animal Protection uh, Association, they sued us. What else was there? Uh, yeah, we got uh, banned by a church from playing in a certain small town, but we managed to play anyway. And I went on stage wearing a priest's outfit and reading from a porn magazine, and which I then which I then tore off uh, the, the, the the priest's outfit into the first song. I had a, a soccer jersey made with the numbers triple six at the back. So the police stormed the play. Oh my god, it was absolute chaos. So, um, yeah, we a lot of controversy, a lot of fun, but certainly not welcomed by the mainstream, to say the least. No, not at all. Eh? I can't imagine why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, are you guys going to be touring the album or playing gigs in support of the album? No, not at this point. Um, like uh, we got asked this in an interview the other day, um, not a not not a verbal one, just a written one. And um, my answer to this was, if um, Metallica or Black Sabbath came knocking and asking us to open up for them, I'm sure we would gladly quickly find a bassist and a drummer and do some live gigs. But up until that point, we're not really looking to do it because, or, I mean, I've done my time with laying down and playing at the pub to 10 drunk people. Um, I'm just that's there's no point in that for me, and there's no there's nothing. I don't get anything out of that, you know. I, do, I would I would do a big gig if if the right thing came along, but otherwise, no, we're not touring anything now. Yeah, spot on, Dean. You know, we've paid our dues, carried the carried the sort of the amps and stuff, and then obviously played the bigger stages and so on and so forth. But it was never 
on the cards from when we put this project together for us to ever play. And to be fair, we actually didn't think it would be getting the traction it would be getting anyway. As I said, because the ultimate goal for us, we wanted to do something for ourselves that we could, you know, show the kids one day that, hey, you know, the, the these old men still actually did something at their age and that's it. And lo yeah. and behold, it's it's just, it started the promo pieces. We've done some work in the background, but it's not like we spending every day, you know, pushing the promo pieces. It's sort of finding its own way around and people coming to us or we're wonderful people coming out of the woodwork. So we're massively surprised by the positive response so far, but actually getting out there and, and doing the thing, no, nah, no, nah, I can't see that happening. Right, right. And, you know, the gigs that you've played in the past then over your entire career, when you think of them, is there one that sticks in your mind as maybe the most perfect experience you've had? Um, I don't know so much about perfect, but um, I mean, we toured, we played with, I played in quite a few bands back in South Africa. We we did the whole touring thing. We toured, uh, the, one of the bands we even toured out of South Africa, we went to Botswana and places like that. But um, I'd say the most memorable one for me um, was when we, the first National Freedom Day that South Africa had in Vereniging, uh, which is an area in, in South Africa. Um, after Nelson Mandela was released, they had the first annual National Freedom Day, and I played there in a band uh, called Brothering. And it was the weirdest experience ever because the whole stadium was all African people. And um, there was a few bands. It was mostly African music. And then one of my friend's school band was on there, like a brass band, and they managed to get us on there. Now, we were this three-piece white rock band. And um, the African people, now things have changed. But back then, rock music was not something that they would listen to. And we started playing, and it was pretty cool. But there was was guys standing in the front with their fingers in their ears. (laughs) (laughs) looking at us going and there was guys on the side going get off the stage get off the stage but we we did our set and we walked off after that I'd say that was the most memorable and and fun one for me Um, I I don't think I've had a perfect gig (laughs) I think for me every single time I got on stage was memorable it was just a thing for me I just became somebody else and, and just unleashed the beast on stage and just went absolutely mental but I mean there's two quirky Gigs that stand out for me. There's a there used to be a massive festival in South Africa called Opi Kopi, which I mean, easily ten thousand people would attend, and it would generally be more sort of rock, folk, you know, crossover, all sorts of stuff. So we were the first metal band to crack it by accident. Uh, because a band pulled out at the last moment, and we got the two p.m. slot on the B stage. On the Saturday afternoon, and the band that was supposed to be playing was going to be, I think, some folky band and so on. So there was no announcement that the change was going to take place. So I remember us being backstage and me looking to sort of through the curtains, so to speak, and we had families with their blankets sitting there and everyone's chilled and one the woman had a basket and the kid was running around, the baby and I thought, so the, so the band said, shit, are you going to do what you usually do? I said, well, of course we are. That's why we're here. Anyway, when we stepped up there, I used to have this thing where I used to, it was a bit of a, uh, no, it's a bit cheesy now, but I used to rip my T-shirt off and then spit and do all this crazy shit. Like, <laughs> as I ran out there and we started that opening song, I did that. When I say literally everybody that was sitting there with kids, it was what you'd swear there was a, a fire coming or a bomb had gone off. The people were fleeing into the trees, and like you could, and it just emptied out, and it was absolutely hilarious. But anyway, we were invited back the following year to to be on the main stage, and then similar to Dean, we played a, we were invited to a a, a gig which had a, a whole array of different bands, weird styles. I mean, jazz, and there was some electronic stuff, and we were the only metal band, and we of course they put us on last uh, at the evening. And it wasn't going down well. And there was a gal and her boyfriend right in front of me. And the entire fucking set, set they were hackling and showing me the finger. So and, and I could see the band were getting nervous. They knew I was going to do something. So I thought, fuck this. So I pulled down my pants and I pissed on them. And needless <laughs> to say, they exited the building, stage left. We finished the gig. 
Uh, and needless to say, they didn't pay us. We were never invited back, and we didn't give a fuck. But anyway, so there's a there's a memorable <laughs> one. Oh my god! <laughs> I remember another one um, when we were playing in Odyssey, and it was at, uh, one of these outback like Afrikaans village places where like a real one horse town. And Neil Ford, who has actually played. Um, Base for Mark's band, Metamorphosis. In the end, we were under the stage, um, getting ready to go on, and we all started smoking weed. And uh, <laughs> there was there was uh, gaps in the wood of the stage, so it all started filtering through the stage and into the audience. And police were called, and all this. And Neil Ford was pissing in the piano and jumping on the piano and all sorts. And then when we started playing, um, Bryn, our singer, or Bryn Addison. Halfway through the set, someone came and put a note by his foot and it said, please stop. <laughs> <laughs> so we carried on playing, but obviously this being a metal gig, the guys started moshing and stuff. So they thought the people that owned the place thought that they were fighting. So the bouncers came and beat up all the metalheads. So you know, how dare you fight in our club? And they started beating them all up and throwing them all out. And eventually there was no one left in the club. And we had the note there saying, please stop. So we, we stopped and we left. <laughs> Welcome to South Africa. <laughs> uh, I have to say, those are some of the best and funniest stories I've heard now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, man. I usually follow up that question with, uh, what's the worst gig experience and how you overcame it? But I'm not sure I need to know. <laughs> oh, well, I think there's a mix and match in there, I mean, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you know, back in those days then, if that's the kind of stuff you'd get up to on stage, what sort of antics did you get up to backstage while you were on tour? There must be some pretty wild ones. Oh my God, I, I hope the police aren't listening. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, Honestly, there is, there, is, there is some stories that I, I can honestly, especially with Dean and I, what we got up to, that it's just really, it's not for public consumption. I mean, you know, um, really, really out of control stuff. I mean, Jesus. I'll just say, live today is an absolute miracle. Absolute yeah. miracle. I'll just say this, and, I, and I'm telling you, I'm not saying this because I'm trying to pick us up or anything, but Motley Crue and Rat and all those all those boys in LA, they had fuck all on what we got up to, seriously. <laughs> if, if they came to Johannesburg, they would have run, gone home running with a tail between their legs. Yeah, there was, uh, there was it was just out of, I mean, the, the stories, man, Hell's Angels and people getting shot and fucking getting hammered in the head with hammers. And I mean, that was just, that was like the downside of some of them. <laughs> yeah, that's Completely true. wild parties, man. Completely yeah. out of off the hook stuff. I just, I, I don't know. It's too much to, to actually start mentioning. <laughs> you yeah. were right. So how are you guys still alive? Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Thank well, God I we, mean, I'm a Honestly, I made a conscious effort, uh, a conscious decision. You know, once we had released the Blistered album and it it it, 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 it got some decent attention overseas and uh, we were on the, according to the promoter here uh, in the UK at the time, Roadrunner were, were keen to sign us, uh, but at the, at the last moment decided not to. Uh, due to our uh, this legacy of apartheid and all that shit, and at that stage <laughs> the band was so out of control with all sorts of stuff that I had to make a conscious decision that if I didn't put the brakes on, I wasn't gonna make another year. And and I actually decided to just park it. It was just just turn the switch off. Uh, and yeah, because I wouldn't be even on the school today if I hadn't done that. That's for sure. Yeah, I think a lot of us nearly were on the verge of burning out. So. We, yeah, we kind of made that call, and I mean, even the other guys that were in the bands with us, they, everyone sort of dispersed, and some went overseas, some stayed there, and there was a, a few years of, of silence. <laughs> yeah. and I think the rest, the whole of Johannesburg, going, thank God, they've all disappeared for a while. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's it like then when you get back together with all the? guys you were in bands with is it kind of back to your old ways or is it just kind of more sensible and you sit around and reminisce i mean there's i don't i wouldn't say there's there's um the drugs that were going around back in those days it's definitely alcohol and people i mean i hardly even drink anymore but you know when you have some drinks and you 
get a bit pissed with your mates and stuff and have a laugh, you know, but I don't think, um, well, if we had to get up to what we did back then in London, I think we'd be arrested in within minutes. So I think getting older also, you know, it kind of makes you, and, you know, having having kids and all that kind of thing, you know. <laughs> but Dean, I just want to just remind you, that's don't the drinking. And just a quick reminder, remember when we went, we had the VIP, the VIP tickets to go and see Slipknot and who else? Oh, was and corn, and, yes. and 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 we managed to get through corn. Uh, managed to get through Slipknot, or and no, was it corn? Uh, no, corn were opening, and about four songs into corn, we got thrown out. Do you remember that? <laughs> because we had drank enough Jack Daniels from my house to Nottingham that most people wouldn't drink an entire weekend. So in the limousine, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we had a limo ride, and the, yeah, so. And we got thrown out. So let's let's we this. So there are occasions that we do rip the ring out for sure. It, it was hilarious. Well, they were busy frog marching us out of the venue, and Mark was busy tweeting while they on Twitter. He's going on Twitter. He's going. We're getting kicked out of Slipknot. <laughs> and I was I was I was begging the guys. I was saying, can we please at least have our ticket stubs so we can remember the gig? And they were like, fuck off, get out. <laughs> yeah, it was, was it. just before COVID. It wasn't like it was ten or twenty years ago, right? <laughs> I didn't even think it was possible to get kicked over Slipknot gig. Well, <laughs> well, a lot of people said that to us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it's good to hear you haven't slowed down any so. And, uh, oh, yeah. you know, this stage with the new album, how do you guys handle criticism or ne- negative feedback about your music? Does this bother you at all? Mm, you know what? I'd be a liar if I say it didn't, but it's not. Back in the days, if somebody told me that, I would just call them anything and everything under the sun and tell them where to go. Um, these days, you know, uh, thankfully I haven't had anything with this album yet, but if there is negative feedback, it's quite, if it's constructive, you know what, I'll take it and 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 I'll give it its dues and, and, uh, and I'll learn from it. Um, if it's just a lot of bullshit, whatever, man, I just let it go over my head, and I don't even um, pay any attention to it. I mean, that's—I think if you if you let negative um, comments and stuff get to you in the wrong way, it's going to affect the way that you live, even let, let alone make music. Um, I, 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 it's all welcome, you know what I mean? It's nice to hear what different people have to say about this stuff. Yeah, Dean, you're right. I mean, it, it's. 100% not everyone's cup of tea. Heavy metal, period, is not everyone's cup of tea. And if there is negative feedback, you know what? Again, we've not done this to try and earn a living. This is not what we're taking on the road. This is not going to put bread on the table or, you know, be the difference of us living on the street or living in a fucking mansion. It's irrelevant. To us, we did this for one specific reason, to fulfill a promise we made to each other as kids, that we would take something out and we'd, we'd release it. And you know what? If, if we didn't sell one copy, we actually don't give a shit. If we sold a million copies, whoopee-doo. It was it was just what we wanted to release. So you know, people are, they people have their own views and they're welcome to that. And you know, I'm just going to take it on the chin and move on if it's negative. And as Dean said, fortunately, um, we've had none. Um, well, not that we know of. Probably yes, but certainly not seen it out in the media or been told by close mates of ours that we have good relationships with that we know that can be open with us. They've all been massively complimentary, much to our surprise, actually. Yeah, I mean, through the years, you know, once once we had all left South Africa and um, there were some comments, like, because I've never stopped playing music. I've been I've been recording and writing my whole life. And um, there was a point where a few people back in South Africa who were in bands back then, who were not in bands anymore and haven't even touched an instrument since those days, said stuff to me like, oh, when are you going to grow up? And and like I said, well, what are you talking about? You know, they said, well, when are you going to stop doing music and shit? You know, you're never going to make it. And I was like, fucking shut up, man. <laughs> yeah. You know, even if you know, making it is not even, that means nothing. Like Mark said, if something happens, then whoopie do. But like, it's not about that. Music is in me and it's in us. That's and it, brother. Whether you get people going, we like it or we don't like it, it doesn't really matter to me anymore. I mean, it's cool when people like it. Don't get me wrong. I'd be lying if I, if I, I wasn't happy when I see people complimenting the music and and the way we play and that kind of it feels good, 
but it's not going to make or break the way I feel about making music. If that's uh, if that explains it a bit better, it does. It does, and it's a nice segue to the next one. If there was no music, if there was no music careers, you'd never got into it. What would your lives look like? Do you think? Oh fuck! I don't know. I think I would have fucking died long ago from boredom. <laughs> I mean, I, I for me, music is is life, man. It's um, it definitely is. I don't want to sound cliche, but it definitely is the only true international language. Um, you can take a drum, or you don't even need a drum. You can just beat on your chest in any country, in anywhere in the world, even in a remote village. If you start beating a beat, people are going to move to it. And, uh, and uh, like I say, that's probably where the first music came from, like cavemen beating on rocks or whatever. So if the music didn't exist, I'd like to, I'd like to ask you a question. <laughs> what do you think would be in its place? Music didn't exist. Yeah. Oh, man. I think I'd be fucking died of boredom, man. Oh, yeah, completely. You'd, you know, music well, gets you through so much, you know, when yeah, there's man. joyous moments in your life, you associate that with music. When you're going through hard times, the music helps you get through. Yeah. I actually can't imagine what would be there instead of music. It's an impossible question to answer, I think. Yeah. I mean, I was just, I was just thinking the same. I thought, I mean, I, I mean, I, I was heard music. I heard Elvis Presley when I was still nappies, diapers, or whatever the language they use in different countries. I mean, I remember that's how, and it's, so to imagine not having music around me is almost it, it's impossible to um, to try and fathom that. It's just it's it it just it, I, I don't know. It, you're right. I mean, it, it just doesn't it doesn't resonate. I, I, the wires don't connect. Mm. I'm, I'm trying to imagine it while you guys are talking and it's making me nervous. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, and, you know, looking to the future then, how would you guys like to evolve as a band? What would Philistine look like in, say, five years' time? Um, I'd like to have at least another two or three albums out. Jesus, thanks, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> And and to be quite honest with you, I would like to actually do some live playing, but like I said, it's not going to be down the road at the local. That's just not ever going to happen again. Um, I don't know. I'd like to have a bit of success with it. You know, if the success doesn't come, it doesn't matter. Um, like Mark said, it's not like we're doing this to make a living or to. Uh, live in hotels or live in mansions or all that kind of thing. I mean, at this point of our life, we know that and it hasn't, it, it kind of happened for us back in the day because we played music and that's what we did. We didn't have jobs. We toured the country. We hung out and there was a place called Rocky Street, which was like the LA of Johannesburg. And it was, we were living that kind of lifestyle, but that's over and done with, man. I mean, you can't, most people who try and do that their whole life end up either in a coffin or they can't talk anymore and they're like a fucking vegetable. So, I mean, thankfully we, and I don't want to use the word grow up because of what those guys said to me, but thankfully we did grow up a little bit and make something of our lives, which has given us the opportunity to still play music and do this kind of thing, you know? So I'd just like to see, see more albums out and, uh, and hopefully we can still keep making good music. You couldn't ask for any better than that. And yeah. before we dive into the last couple of questions, then, is there any future plans set in stone you want to let us know about after the album or anything to do with the album? Buy it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> We've just released, um, yesterday we released uh, the third single, the fourth, the fourth single, um, the actual song, Philistine. We released that. Um, I mean, well, a new video for it released yesterday that's been put out on a YouTube channel. Um, I think we're going to do one more. Or yeah. Who knows? I don't, I don't want to say one more and make that definite because with the technology we have nowadays, it's very easy to do a, a video for each every song on the album, you know. Um, but we, we're going to do one more. I won't say what it is now, but it'll, it won't be in the next couple of weeks. It'll be in a while still. Yeah, and also to, also to tag on to that is that we are going to be releasing a vinyl uh, and that's going to come down the pipe in a while still um, once 
sort of their downloads and streams that run their course. And that's going to be a limited edition vinyl. And that's for, there's one key reason because Dean and I are massive vinyl collectors. So we want to do <laughs> vinyl to add to our own vinyl collection. But And I know we, you were conscious of time, but I'm not sure if you're aware that before our album was released, it was banned before it was released. Oh, we, my God. Yeah, we went through a certain uh, distributor and was promised Earth and Sea. And then uh, literally two or three days before the album was supposed to hit all the streams and downloads, etc., we got a notification that the album was banned. And I tell you, the, 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 they're not, the, Piscoff put it mildly, and we to re, need to figure, and to this day we're still not quite clear, but the message we got was that uh, um, the, the lyrics goes against uh, the standards of all these platforms. Uh, and uh, it just was absolute fucking bizarre. But anyway, we managed to, uh, and actually another international distributor came to our rescue, and maybe that bit of, bit of, bit of bad PR, that's was good PR in there, and there's still some people that speculate we planned that, and I just want to put it on record. We did not plan it. It wasn't a PR exercise to say it was banned when it wasn't. That's the absolute truth. <laughs> How do you, <laughs> where do you even start with that? Now it yeah. is. How do you get banned because of lyrics? Like there, there's much worse out there. Like you know, people say anything nowadays. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say the band's name, but the the the, the letters for the band is AC. Mm. Anyone who's into metal, I'm sure, knows who I'm talking about. I mean, you just got to look at their song titles and their lyrics, and it's like, how the fuck did we get banned? Yeah, yeah. Because exactly. they're on all these platforms. They're on Apple. They're on Spotify. You name it. They're on any. They're on all of them. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it was that's what happened. And like Mark says, because Mark Mark's a bit of a marketing genius, especially from back in the days with Metamorphosis. I mean, virtually deepest, darkest Africa. Like we said, bands, international bands, boycotted. I remember Kiss was supposed to come there even before Black Sabbath did, and then there were posters all over town. Kiss animalized tour. They're coming, and then no, they're not coming anymore. Fuck you guys, apartheid, and all that nonsense. And but Mark being in Metamorphosis, I don't know how the fuck you did it, but um, Metamorphosis back in those days was probably the first South African band besides VOD that got play a lot of international um, interest, and the the demo cassettes made it overseas, and they were in a lot of magazines and got a lot of airplay and stuff. So people were thinking, ah, oh, well, that's Mark's probably doing all of this stuff, saying the album's banned. As one of his marketing ploys in that, and it honestly wasn't that man. It was just that's what happened. That's why. That's why we're even so surprised we're on this call with you today. Because if we look back <laughs> to August, we didn't think this thing was even going to go out there. Dean and I was saying, "Fuck it, we're just going to put it out on 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 uh, YouTube." Our website. Yeah. I mean, if you look at uh, uh if anyone's seen our YouTube channel, you'll see there's a, a um, the full album up. They're sharing them full album and it's got the song titles and as you stream them, it highlights the song. That was made um, because the album was banned. So I went and made that because we thought, like, if if we don't get an answer of these people in the next month, we're going to stick it on YouTube ourselves. So that was all ready to go. And I mean, then, like Mark said, it, we finally got it unbanned and it got distributed by a new distributor. So I went and put that video up anyway. That's crazy. That is absolutely crazy. Jeez. But on the flip side, at least there's no such thing as bad PR, you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> and we'll, uh, we'll dive into the last couple. So these are a few random, odd music questions, but I'm uh, intrigued to see your answers. If you could see any performer from history in concert for one night only, who would it be? Led Zeppelin. I like Real Nice. Um, for me, whoa. I'd have to say either Jimi Hendrix or, I mean, that can be live or dead, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Mark mentioned Pantera earlier. I would love to have seen them. And uh, probably Soundgarden too, you know. I mean, actually, wait, I saw Soundgarden. Really? Yeah, just not just before Chris Cornell died, but I saw him like a year or two before they died. Um. Uh. Yeah, and uh, I actually met Chris Cornell when um, he was in uh, Audio Slave. No way. They came, yeah, they came to play in London, and my wife was working in the, the Theosophical Society, and um, 
there was a woman working there, used to be a journalist in in uh, in in London, and she had these tickets, and she didn't even know who their slave were. And she said to my my wife, "Do you want these tickets?" And she said, "Yeah." And then she just got it. Said uh, they actually weren't tickets; they were um, press conference tickets or slips or whatever they were. I don't know what they were. So we went there, and we were standing in the bar. And the next minute, um, Brad Wilk was standing next to me, and Tom Morello walked in, and then Chris came in. Um, and I met him and had a beer with him. It was really cool. <laughs> Man, is it yeah, true what people say that in person he was actually really shy and reserved? Yeah, yeah, it was pretty quiet. I mean, he was quite, quite shocked to see because I, I, I took um, Temple of the Dog CD to get signed by him, and uh, one Soundgarden one, and for the other guys, I took Rage Against the Machine CDs. I didn't, didn't even take an Audio Slave CD. And when I pulled out Temple of the Dog, his eyes just been really wide and he looked at me and he was like fuck you know this and I was like of course bro. <laughs> doesn't know who doesn't know that music you know yeah exactly exactly but he, yeah he is but he was kind of and, and the funny thing is he's, he said to us um, he said you pulled a little piece of paper out of his pocket I'm not shitting you man it looked like the size of a small little receipt and he said write your names on you and he said come to the Brixton Academy tomorrow night and go back go to the backstage door and, and I'll get you in so we were like, okay. So we wrote our names, and the next night we went there. And I went to the side, and I knocked, and no one came. And I stood there for about twenty minutes, knocking, and I was just about to give up. And this big bouncer came, and he said, "What? Do, what do you guys want?" And I said, "Well, we're on the guest list." And he said, mm, "Give me your names." So I told him my names, and he vanished again for another twenty minutes. And I was just about to walk away again. And Stu's God, man, he came back and he walked us to the front center of the stage. Wow. <laughs> And I saw Audio Slave, that's where I saw them. And it was just amazing. Oh, man. Sounds like one of the most perfect, more than a concert experience. The whole thing is just, Jesus. Oh, man, I've had, I'll tell you, sorry to rattle on. I'll just tell you another quick one. I've had some crazy times at gigs in London. Once I was at, went to, to London Astoria before it was broken down. And Slipknot were playing, and I think Slayer as well. And, and I went to... No one had started yet, and I went to go to the toilets, and I walked through this door, and the next minute I was backstage, <laughs> and because there was no one watching the door, and I thought it was the men's toilet, so I went backstage, and I went up, I went up the stairs, and there was Slipknot fucking drinking beer bongs with a shark mask on, and all sorts of shit, and I was like pouring beer down my throat, <laughs> and I'm going like, what the fuck's going on here, man? So I, was, I had a few beer bongs with them and everything, and then when I walked out, there was a bouncer at the door, and he was like, who are you? And I said, well, I went, I thought this was the toilet. He said, did you just walk in there? I said, yeah. I said, there was no one here. I said, can I go back in? And he said, no, 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 sorry, you can't. <laughs> I've had some crazy times here in London, man. Oh, man. I think I want to go to a gig with you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the next question now, this will be interesting. If you had to spend 24 hours locked inside a room with any musician from history, who would it be? Elvis Presley. I like it. I like it. What would you hope to learn yeah. from Elvis? What? <laughs> How many women he slept with? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and who he slept with? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I think I'd go with that as well, then. Really? I mean... <laughs> the three of us together, yeah. that's just not a good idea. <laughs> I You'd mean, probably kill Elvis. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I could sit here and say so many of my of people that are considered to be musical or heavy metal heroes for me, like Ozzy and James Hetfield and Tony Iommi is like just because I'm a left-handed guitarist, he's like my guitar hero forever. I mean, but you know, someone like Elvis, I mean, to make it as big as that guy was, or the Beatles, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's, I'm sure you're going to learn a shit ton of stuff from those guys, man. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And the final one, so I've been told this is near impossible to answer, but we'll give it a go. What song would appear on the soundtrack to your life? Oh. Um, in, in actual fact, there's honest truth. In my will, in my will, when I eventually pop my clocks, they, <laughs> uh, the song that would be played uh, at my funeral is Wasps Forever Free. Oh, great choice. Yeah. Great choice. Yeah. 
Uh, mine would be um, Black Sabbath, and it would be uh, a national acrobat. Right, right. Two very yeah. good choices there. I like it. Yeah, yeah. Listen, guys, I don't think there's actually words to describe how much I've enjoyed chatting with you now. It's been an absolute blast. Thanks a million. Thank you, too, man. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Indeed. enjoyed this episode if you did please rate and review us on itunes and spotify and if you're interested in signing up the band builder academy use the link in the show notes below and enter the code concerts and you'll receive 10 percent off so until next time keep rocking hey hey what are you guys still doing there the show's over It's over. You can go home. Go on. We'll see you next time. We'll be here.